0: In today's episode, we are going to resume our discussion of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-11. to 11. Having already looked at the scope or the nature of the law, sorry, the nature of the law in verse 8, that is declarative and conditional, we're now going to move to verse 9 and 10, verses 9 and 10, and look at the recipients of the law. So we see the nature of the law, and now we're going to consider carefully the recipients of the law. Let's back up to verse 8 so we get this in its context, because verse 9 is right in the middle of a sentence. Paul says in verse 8, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly sinners, for the holy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So these are the specific recipients of the law. But before we get to the recipients, the first thing we want to notice as we start unpacking verses 9 and 10 Is that it was not laid down for the just right understanding this the lawful use the right and moral use and the right application of the law we have to understand that it is not laid down for the just but for the lawless so it's an interesting discussion in context because obviously we're looking at false teachers who are making bold assertions right they're making these crazy assertions about the law and they don't have any understanding about it but they're talking about it and they're really betraying the fact that they are apart from the law themselves because if they continue on this precarious path that they're on then they are going to prove as John said in his epistle that they went out from us because they were never of us okay that's fine if they're not ever of us then this applies to them right uh, and that's the whole point they actually have no understanding of how the law works. So, the first thing that Paul says is it's not for the just. It was not laid down for the just. This would almost seem to imply that there is a group of people out there for whom the law does not apply, but that is false, okay? That is patently false. In making this statement, Paul is acknowledging that the false teachers that think that they are just— That's what they do. They think that they are just in all their merciful contortions of the law, but they have in reality failed to grasp the true nature of the law, and that is pointed out to them. All right? They think that they are just, but they are not. It is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, This wasn't to say that the Pharisees were actually righteous, but rather they were righteous in their own eyes and refused to see what the Scripture had to say about themselves. Now we are in the next generation after Jesus. I'm talking about the generation to which Paul is addressing So we're one generation after Jesus, and there are still groups of people doing the same thing. There are still people perverting the Word of God, just like the Pharisees did, and thinking that it does not condemn them when, in fact, it does. So here's the point. Let us never fall prey to this deceitful thinking that we are somehow righteous apart from the righteousness of Christ. Now, I think that anybody who would be tuning into a podcast like this is probably not going to be thinking that they have a righteousness of their own. They know the scriptures. They know that all have been subsumed under the penalty of sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the fact of the matter is, is some people in the world, and you will meet them, think that somehow that condemnation doesn't apply to them you know there most people will actually acknowledge that they have sinned but they think that the good will outweigh the bad it means that they don't have an understanding of how the the righteousness of god works the holiness of god they don't understand the eternal nature of god therefore any sin against him is eternal in nature itself they don't understand those things but the fact of the matter is hopefully we don't have a misunderstanding of that but it's easy to see. I mean, somebody who says, "Yeah, I've done a few wrong things in my life, uh, but I think that the good is out going to outweigh the bad." They don't actually put themselves under the the same category as what the law is addressing. Okay, they don't think that they're lawless and disobedient, uh, and they don't put themselves in a broad category of sinners. They might admit to one or two sins, but they think that they're okay overall. You see, the false teachers in Ephesus needed to see themselves as sinners before God. That's always the case, right? They need to actually see themselves as sinners, not just, oh, I sinned once, but I'm okay. Well, if you're okay, then you don't need what God is offering. And that's really important. That gets to the crux of the gospel message, right? They These false teachers and false teachers today need to see themselves as sinners before God. Not just that God is real. They need to see themselves as sinners, as condemned, as under the penalty that sin brings. And not just death in this world. There's not a faith healer around. There's not some charlatan in another country on television that has been able to escape death. I mean, the fact that you see them wearing glasses and bandages when their fingers are sprained, you know, things like that, or growing older. These are all the theological effects of sin that they can't get away from because they are marching towards the same path that we all are for the wages of sin is death, right? You can't get away from that. And yet they somehow think that they're okay and they have perverted their message. Okay. Uh, But in addition to that, we know after death, is appointed unto man, you know, judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this, judgment. All these things, they just totally, uh, you know, they remove themselves from the equation and then begin to lead other people. And these false teachers, uh, who are the subject of the entire letter, are teaching a different gospel, and these people who are doing this are—and this is what Paul says to Timothy— in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the last chapter of this letter, what are they? Here are his words, verses 4 and 5 of the last chapter. They are puffed up with conceit, and they understand nothing. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil, suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. What an incredible condemnation. And what we learn from that is that the law, as we're beginning to delve into it here, it should have crushed them, right? The law is laid down for the lawless and disobedient. What it should have done is it should have just brought them low before their maker. Any pious Jew who studied the law would have felt a sense of despair with the weight of the law on their shoulders and, of course, the sacrificial system constantly weighing them down. No one would have known better their sinful condition and the consequences that stemmed from that than the Jews. But they missed the entire point. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, they saw his message of repentance and ministry of forgiveness, they saw those those things as largely irrelevant to their everlasting shame, woe to them. And we do feel sorry for them. Uh, and and we feel compassion because if you die apart from the gospel, is true back then in the time of Jesus and in the generation after him, just as it is today, you know, good intentions don't get you to heaven. You know, the right, you know, well, he, he just gave it his best. So he's, he's okay. That, that doesn't count. What counts is having the righteousness of Christ applied to your account. What counts is having your sins paid for by his blood, and the only way that you can do that is to place your faith in him, calling out to him for forgiveness of sins alone, knowing that you could do nothing to merit the forgiveness of sins. You you did no works that accomplished forgiveness. You did nothing that was pleasing in the sight of God. The only thing that you did was believe on Jesus Christ. And then when you study the scriptures, you discover that even the ability to believe was a gift from God himself, so that salvation is all of God and none of you. And that's that's the point. We don't look at somebody like this who's twisting and perverting the law and say, oh, well, it's okay. They just did their best. They did They did all they knew how to do. No, the point is, is they stand condemned. And now that we're talking about people, you know, from 2,000 years ago, the, the sad reality is, is if they died apart from the righteousness that Christ offers alone, then they died in their sins. It truly is to their everlasting shame. All right, so he says it's not laid down for the just, but it's laid down for the lawless and disobedient. He then spends the rest of this verse and verse 10 giving us an example of that, all right? So the lawless, lawless here, interesting word. We get this word antinomian, uh, which is an English word that we have, but it comes, uh, it, it sounds very similar to the Greek word anomios. Uh, That's where we get nomian is from the Greek word for law, namos or namios. Okay. And then that negative prefix in front of it. So these are, these are no law people and they're disobedient, which is to say they do not want to be subject to any rules. They don't want government. They don't want policies. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. It's not just that they don't acknowledge that it exists, but rather they choose not to live under it. Yeah. I'll acknowledge that it's there in the world. But what they're essentially saying is, it doesn't apply to me. And the fact of the matter is, is you couldn't be further from the truth. It does apply. And that's what Paul is saying here. You know, and go, go back to the beginning of this episode, when we say that it's not for the just, but for the unjust, we're not saying there's a group of people out there for whom it doesn't apply. It actually applies to everybody. And in this list, properly understood, one will be able to find themselves. That's the point, okay? Paul gives a partial list. We're not saying it's exhaustive, but when you take this in step with how Jesus uh, interpreted the law in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, well, you've heard it said, uh, but I say unto you, and then he goes on and says, it actually means more than what you often thought, you know. And there we find that the law actually pertains to the heart and the intentions and the motivations and the things that we don't do necessarily outwardly. He says, if you've heard it said, thou shalt not, you know, commit adultery, but I say unto you, you know, he's setting up a contrast. If you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. You're guilty of the sin of adultery, even though you never committed the sin of adultery because you committed it in your mind and in your heart. And God sees those things. You, you may be able to hide it from everybody else, but God sees that. You have heard it said, thou shalt not kill, but I say unto you, contrast, if you look at a brother with hatred in your heart, you didn't even, you know, you never even talked to him in a cross word or anything like that. You never made plans. You never attempted murder, anything. And yet I say it to you that you're still guilty of breaking that commandment because of the hatred you have in your heart for him. Those are serious words, Right. So if we now approach this list that Paul gives, even though we readily admit at the beginning that it's not exhaustive, it's only partial, we're probably going to find ourselves somewhere in this list over these next two verses. And some commentators see this list here as a summary of the Decalogue. What we're talking about is the Ten Commandments, uh, which, you know, the Ten Commandments should not bring ease, but condemnation. Once we properly understand it, uh, we understand that it brings us under condemnation, which is the whole function of the law. So who does he address here? Okay, uh, we already uh, addressed the the no law and the no policies, no government, nothing. Uh, they're disobedient, the lawless and disobedient. Now he goes on, he says the ungodly and the sinners, uh, just a kind of a catch-all. We understand that we're all there, but some people might say, hey, I'm not ungodly. I'm not a sinner. What about the unholy and profane? Especially if we go through and, you know, begin to really parse those. When God says that he is holy and we are told in the prophet Isaiah that he's thrice holy, 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 holy is the Lord God almighty. And we understand that holiness is the absence of sin. Well, you know, we have sin and to have any sin means that we are not holy. And now he says it's for the unholy, for the profane. To be unholy at, you know, a base, one of the ways to think about it is to say that you are contrary to God. Whatever God is, you're not. That's unholy. To be profane is to trample on that which is holy. So we can see how the pairing fits together, to be unholy and profane, that the two go hand in hand. To say something contrary about God is to trample on who God is, and that is the definition of profanity. And so you you see that. Then he goes on in the list and says not only is it for uh, the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, but next, for those who strike their fathers and mothers. This is a particular form of murder that would have flown in the face of Of even that society and today we're somewhat shocked by it but I'm sad to say I and perhaps you are too that it's become rather commonplace we see headlines of youth right teenagers that are killing either classmates or their parents and we've become kind of numb to it because we don't we don't deal with it properly and we've made some fatal societal errors as a country over the last several decades, I mean, it's not something that you can just undo overnight, but there are some huge issues going on here and we definitely don't have time to sidetrack on that. But those who would have done such a heinous thing, right, all the way up until the last century, in the last 20 years, it was unheard of that a child would murder their own parents. That was an outlier. Well, now we're not shocked by those kind of headlines anymore And that truly is saying something about our country and where we are morally, spiritually, in our decline, and our degradation. But it's not just murder. We already have a commandment about murder. Thou shalt not murder. But this is is the highest violation of the fifth commandment, right? Not only are we not supposed to murder, but the fifth commandment, which is the first commandment with promise, is what? Thou shalt honor thy father and mother. (laughs) the, the exact opposite, the, the farthest away you could get from honoring your father and mother is to kill your father and mother. And by the way, the penalty for that was outlined for us in Exodus chapter 21, verse 15, that one who struck his father or mother was to be put to death. And in there we understand that Uh, maybe it wasn't just murder, but they actually just hit them. They were just so disobedient that they lashed out in anger. Well, when you actually take those examples, that's happened exponentially more than actual murder of minors, uh, not murder of minors, but murder committed by minors uh, on their parents, which sadly has become more commonplace, but assault by minors to another and especially to the one who brought them into the world and who has cared for them, their own parents, has just skyrocketed and again we, we look back to the law and say the penalty for that was death well you know we have that just running rampant in our society today those who strike their father and mothers who do not honor them but absolutely bring dishonor to them and what to say about murder and all murder it's possible that the striking of the parents you know produce their death but all murder any and all homicides intentional or accidental the law is for you, and it has prescriptions for that, right? The sexually immoral, broad uh, category here, uh, pornea. this is general sexual sin. This is a transgression of the seventh commandment, which is do not commit adultery. And Again, we already referenced the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Then he goes on very specifically, men who practice homosexuality. This is a very specific uh, subset here. It's different than pornea. It does not uh, fall under the same category as pornea and it identifies both parties, actors and recipients in the language, men who practice homosexuality. We're talking about men and the other side of that homosexuality are other men are the recipients. Okay. In the old, uh, old language uses the term sodomite, but there's no getting around this consensual or not. This is a sin. Consent has nothing to do with this. The very practice of it, you know, and some people look at some of the other texts and again, context is everything. Uh, This has nothing to do with consent. This has to do with the very act, the one who does the acting and the recipient who receives that, if you partake in that, you are condemned by the law. There's no getting around this, which isn't to say that there's not forgiveness. And we say this for all that. People who commit murder can be saved after they've committed murder. People who have committed any sort of sexual sin, right? Uh, general sexual sin, adultery, any of those things, they can be forgiven and find their way you know, to heaven, not of their own working and effort, but because you know, the, the sacrifice of Jesus is big enough uh, to cover that. Okay. And so we have to understand that, but we call these things out as sin. Now, sadly, we live in a day and age when people will not call sin, sin. It's easy to talk about something broad, like ungodly and sinners or unholy and profane, which almost seems abstract. But you know, now really, I mean, if, if we see a child strike their parents or be disrespectful to them, you know, maybe, you know, and shame on us if, if we're finding ourselves thinking these thoughts, but maybe we might think, well, maybe the parents deserved it, uh, but we shouldn't be so harsh on the child. And it shows that we're really moving away from a proper understanding of the law. The law is there to condemn. We need to tell these children that are doing this, that it's wrong. We need to tell murderers that it's wrong. Homicide is wrong. Uh, murder is wrong. These things, you know, there there is sanctity in life. Murder is absolutely wrong. Uh, sexual immorality, wrong. People who practice homosexuality, it is an abomination in the sight of God. Doesn't mean that you don't have a desire. Uh, you know, we've heard now today the phrase S A A, the same or S S A, the same-sex attraction. You say, well, you know, what about that? Well, you have to you have to take those things. We have to take every thought captive and place it under subjection to Christ. The fact is, is the Bible is unequivocal in this. It makes absolutely no bones about it that people who practice this are sinners and they are condemned by the law. Okay. It is a sin. Uh, look at Romans 1.27, 1 Corinthians 6, nine, and we could go on, but we don't have time to, to go into that deeply. Uh, we also talk about, this is an interesting one, enslavers. Enslavers. These would be kidnappers. Now, this is interesting because this word only occurs here in the entire New Testament. We call it a hapax legomena. It's a one-time use here. We can uh, derive its uh, meaning contextually, and we also can uh, um, look at, at extra biblical resources. But what we're talking about here is slave traders, slave dealers, and this is a gross violation of the Eighth Commandment when you stop and think about it you know and here by the way is a condemnation of the practice of slavery it was a reality at the time of of the bible but it doesn't mean that the bible condoned it so when we see paul writing uh, the letter to philemon for instance and and how it's being addressed the topic it's not promoting it it's just saying that because it's so pervasive it permeated every aspect of the known world uh, you deal with it as you can. But for the believer, should they partake in it? No. And it's condemned here. It's absolutely condemned right here in this passage. Just so we're all clear on this, uh, that the, this word enslavers here is talking about kidnappers. It's talking about stealing humans. And when we talk about it in that way, we understand then that this is, a again, directly apply, applicable to the law because the law says what? You shall not steal, thou shall not steal. So taking stealing to its ultimate end is to actually steal a human being uh, from society, from everything, and to make them your slave. It's, uh, it's horrible. And of course, a lot of people did that and didn't think anything of it. And it's still going on today. We just give it a different name, but it's uh, found under the form of human trafficking and other things. It's, it's absolutely reprehensible, it's despicable. Okay, not only do we have the kidnappers, but then we have liars. This is a violation of the Ninth Commandment. Uh, you know, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, Exodus twenty sixteen. 16. Uh, we are told that the Cretans are liars, uh, Titus 1, verse 12. But not just the Cretans, everyone is by nature, Romans 3, verse 4. Then we talk about perjurers. That's asserting that something is true when it is false or asserting that something is false when you know it is true, knowing that it isn't uh, whatever you said it was, that it's not that for the sole purpose of inflicting harm on another. And that's what perjury is. Uh, Some people do that to protect themselves. They think that if they lie and get away with that in court, that it's somehow going to make them better. But sometimes people perjure themselves in court uh, just to try and bring a heavier penalty on the other side. And, you know, when you talk to people and you talk about the law of God, often lying is going to be one where people, yeah, you know, at some point in my life, when I was a kid, uh, at some point I lied. And the fact is, is the law is for the unjust and the unjust includes liars. Okay. And then he goes on and says, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. And so, and that right there shows that he knows that it's not an exhaustive list, but like we said before, virtually everybody should be able to find themselves in this list properly understood. And so we see the recipients of the law really are everybody And contrast that to the false teacher who thinks that they're outside of the law, who thinks that it doesn't apply to them, and then we get an understanding, right? This is helping us to understand their mentality, but it also helps us understand not just false teachers, but there are a lot of people that we find in the world today who think that the law doesn't apply to them. The Bible has no bearing on their life, and it does. If they fit in this list, and we all fit in this list, then the law applies to us. Well, we've gone long again today. Uh, Some of these are just incredible sections here and worthy of a good discussion, but we're going to have to leave it right there and we're going to pick it up in verse 11 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.